We have one more piece in our Christmas sermon series that we have um, here at Portview. So if you take your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. We've been there for uh, the past several weeks, and we're going to read through it again. If you don't have a Bible, you can hopefully grab one in front of you in the, in the chairs. Uh, and if you need one permanently, feel free to take that. It's our gift to you. Um, but even though it's after the official Christmas day, we still have one more gift that we get to open concerning who Jesus is. We get to unwrap and explore one more aspect regarding what he came to be to each of us. This morning in our series, or so far in our series, we've seen that Jesus is Emmanuel, that he's God with us, the one who was born in the flesh and invites us to be a part of his kingdom. Then we looked at Jesus as Savior because of our sin, He came to save us from our sin and the penalty of our sin and reconcile us with God. Last week we discussed that Jesus is Messiah. He was the fulfillment of prophecy. He's the anointed one to bring the kingdom of God to all of humanity. And now we're going to learn about the final gift. So let's start at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And here in verses 10 and 11 are the verses we've been keying in on over these last several weeks. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So back at verse 11, we'll just repeat that. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Today we get to investigate the gift that says Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's sometimes a unique thing for us, and as we unwrap this idea that Jesus is Lord, I want to make sure that we can unpack what this really means. We sang about it a lot this morning with our our songs. Jesus is Lord. But sometimes I wonder, do we really get that? It's not something that we go around and say frequently in our American culture, right? It's not like we live in England where they have this concept of lords and ladies that they've passed down for centuries. They have the lord of the manor. They have those who are overseeing a few things. Our democratic form of government doesn't commonly use the word Lord in our everyday speech. We don't have a class of people known as lords in our everyday society. So we need to understand this a little bit more. Even in the church world, we use the word Lord, but sometimes I wonder if we fully understand the extent of it, the impact of it. What does that really mean? Sometimes we sing it in our choruses, but does it become just a churchy word that we use? You know, Lord this, Lord that, Lord I love you, Jesus is Lord, 
and, and we can say it, but do we really understand what that means? Maybe we've heard the word Lord. We think back to our medieval history lessons in, in, in social studies back in school where we talked about the lords who owned different things of, of property uh, over in Europe. And so they had full capabilities and power over everything that was theirs. They could exert their authority over the people who served them, the serfs. I love that word, the serfs. The peasants, the vassals, the tenants. All of those people were under their authority. And we do get this idea that there's someone in authority when we talk about the word Lord. Or maybe we think of references from pop culture. Right? A few years ago we had the movies The Lord of the Rings. You know, very popular uh, thing uh, where originally the rings of power were given to the lords and the kings of the elves, the dwarves, and the mortal men. And they were the ones who wielded the power over their, their realm. Or maybe from recent Star Wars fame, you have Lord Vader, right? And he had a lot of power, not used for good, um, but he had a lot of power on the dark side, and he wielded a lot of power, and people, you know, ordered and sorry, obeyed everything that he said and everything that he wanted to do. And although we may see parallels in these thoughts, I still don't think they fully explain this idea that Jesus is Lord. When Luke records the message of the angel to the shepherds in our text, he uses the title Lord to describe Jesus, the newborn baby. And I wonder if the shepherds thought that was a little odd to say this baby is the Lord. Because they would have understand it as he's a master. He's the one who has a lot of control, a lot of authority. He's a person of great importance. How can this newborn baby be someone who's the Lord? But the angel wasn't describing just that. He was describing who Jesus is in totality, in completeness. He's sovereign. He's an almighty prince. He's one to whom we need to give attention to. In fact, in the Jewish mindset of the shepherds, the word Lord corresponds a lot with the Old Testament word that they would have been very familiar with, Jehovah, the Hebrew title for God. That was what their connotation was as it went through different translations. That was the word that they came to, Jehovah, the Lord God who is sovereign over all the affairs of the earth. Jehovah, the Lord, with whom is all power and authority concerning any and all situations that we face. So that's kind of the backdrop that they have. And notice another thing that the angel declares, Jesus is the Lord. He's not just one of many. It's not like, hey, you have another Lord who's come into the world. He is the Lord. He is the supreme one, the only one. He's not in competition with anyone. He is the Lord. He is the only one who has all power and authority. And I think that this also relates to the Old Testament where this message is continuously conveyed to the nation of Israel. Time and time again, the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel and saying, I am the Lord. A couple of quick examples. Isaiah 45.5 just says this, I am the Lord and there is no other. I am the Lord and there is no other. 
Jeremiah 32:27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? What a great picture that is as he describes himself that I am the Lord. There is nothing that is too difficult for me. So whatever you're facing as a nation, as an individual person, as a family, as a group, I am the Lord. There is nothing that is too difficult for me. And he gives that assurance over and over again to the nation of Israel, and he continues to do that to us even now. So as we've started to unwrap this concept that Jesus is Lord, we begin to understand this gift a little better, that he is master, that he is the one who has authority and power. He's a person of great importance. But beyond this understanding of what the Lord means, I think there's an, another element that helps us in our faith, faith, and that's this, that there is eternalness to this concept that Jesus is Lord. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it is from the beginning of time until the end of time. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This has probably been a bedrock verse for me for much of my life. I remember learning this when I was in junior Bible quiz several years ago. Quotation question. Quote the verse that says, Jesus is always the same. You buzz in and and say it, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it's one of those things that is true, no matter when you're saying it or reading it or writing it. So whether you're reading it now or when I learned it 30 years ago, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it's just as true today as it was when they wrote it almost 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we can always come back to this. And that's something that no matter what I am going through, what any one of us is going through, we can know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Lord, just like he's always been. And he's been the Lord, the one with supreme power and authority since before the beginning of the time. In speaking about Jesus, John writes this in John 1, 1 1-3. We referenced it slightly during worship. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then in verse 3, here's where his Lordship over all of creation comes into play. It says this, Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Think about that for a moment. Without him, nothing has been made that ever would have been made. Without him, all things have been created. Or with him, all things have been created. Because of Jesus' power and authority, we have sky, we have trees, we have Lake Michigan. We have lake effect snow, but not this year. I only say that because then I don't have to shovel the the sidewalks around the church. (laughs) But this year we have grass, green grass at that in December, almost January, and it's green grass. Who would have ever thought? 
But we have trees. We have sky. We have flowers. We have, for those who are hunters, we have deer and geese and rabbits that you can hunt, kill, and eat. We have things that we can go and we can look at. We can just enjoy the beauty of what God has made. God has made each and every one of us in this place today. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And all of that is because Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord over all creation. But He didn't stop being Lord once the creation of the universe was done. It's not like He got to day 7 and said, I'm done being Lord. Carry on. You know, He continues to be Lord. The Apostle Paul carries forward this idea and we have this evidence in Colossians 1, 16 and 17 where it says, For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. I think that's an interesting statement as well. Not only did he create all things, but he also holds all things together continuously. It's not a thing that he held all things together. It's not a thing that he will hold all things together. He continuously holds everything together. Day in and day out, through our different situations of life, he holds it all together. It's an ever-present reality in our lives, in the world around us. He holds it all together. He sees all that is happening and He continues to work on our behalf. He sees you. He sees your situation. He knows what you're going through. And He's wanting to just work with you, to walk with you through that situation, to show you that He is Lord and that we just need to put our trust in Him. He is in control of each in every one of our situations. And then it carries on from there. From this present time into the future and ultimately all of eternity, Jesus Christ continues to be Lord. This is where the hope comes for us believers. For those who have put their trust in Him, we know that there will be a day when Jesus returns as Lord and King. And Philippians 2, 6-11 through really give us this highlight of this progression into eternity where Paul just writes that Jesus, at one point, he did leave his glorious throne. He left everything that he had behind so that he could take on humanity, he could live like us, and ultimately, he would be the Savior of our souls. The Savior that we desperately needed. But, a day is coming when every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we have the opportunity to do that willingly now. There's a day coming when everyone will automatically do it because the reality, the truth, the power of that will be fully evident and everyone will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that day, we will see Him as the sovereign, all-powerful Son of God. We do this now by faith. In that day, we will see it in full glory the full picture, the full gamut of it all will be fully seen. And it won't be just the believers who see this. But again, all of creation will see Him as Lord. 
He will be seated on the throne. He will be ruling and reigning over all the physical and spiritual realm. And Revelation 19.6 just sums it up greatly, and it says this final reality, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. He will rule and reign for all of eternity. So Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And He is Lord. This morning, we've been unwrapping this gift that Jesus is Lord from this macro or big picture level. But a lot of times we need to say, well, what does that mean to me? Right? That's great. I can understand that at a high level. But how do I carry that out? What does that really mean on a, on a personal level? And I think Jesus is inviting us, each one of us as individuals, to make him the Lord of our lives each and every day. Throughout the Gospels, we see several different accounts of Jesus giving invitations to his disciples. In most of those accounts, his invitation is marked by just a few words. Come, follow me. He says this to many of his disciples. He calls out to Peter and Andrew, James and John, Matthew and Philip, come, follow me. He invites them to come to him, to leave their ways of life and to follow him. He was inviting them to embark on a new journey, completely change their course of life. And they responded to his invitation. They left their old ways of life. Some were fishers. Some were people who collected taxes. And they effectively said, by doing so, you are master, you are Lord, I will follow you. I want to go where you go. I want to do what you do. And Jesus continues to invite people to call and to follow him, to make him the Lord of their lives. He desires that we would accept that call where we would embark on a journey where he continually transforms our lives, where he molds us and shapes us into the men and the women of God that he wants us to be, where we're not just stagnant, we're not just floundering in our own desires, but that we would begin to desire what he desires, what he is going after. He had called the disciples to follow him, and they left their occupations behind in some cases. Now, he may not be calling you to completely revamp your life, where you change your occupation or your address or anything like that. He might. But he may just be calling you to make him Lord in your current world, in your current situation, where you're at, what you're doing, what you're going through. Say, Lord, this is a mess, but I trust in you. I know that you will help. And I think that this relationship in many ways is like those feudal relationships in medieval times. We talked about it slightly before. It's the era of the lords and the ladies, the knights and the castles, the serfs and the peasants. You know, can you just picture it? You know, the people on the horses running around doing the different quests and the missions. During that time, a lord was someone who owned an area of land. Maybe he owned a small plot of land or a region. And because of the status, he had the executive power over their land, their manor, as they called it. And all of the activities that occurred on this manor or were even related to the manor, he had control over. 
Oftentimes the Lord would enter into an agreement with someone called a vassal, kind of an underservant or an underlord. And the vassal would have responsibilities in service to and on behalf of the Lord, administering all of the activities that needed to be taken care of. He might assist the Lord in military service. He might help with any matters of the court. Or maybe he would simply oversee the serfs and the peasants on the land. Now to establish this Lord-vassal relationship, I found this interesting. They would conduct what they called a commendation ceremony. And this would cause the vassals and the Lord's relationship to each other to become official. They made it a concrete agreement. And the result would be that the vassal would now owe services and allegiance to the Lord. But the commendation ceremony itself was comprised of two parts. In the first part, the vassal would take what was called an oath of fealty. So kind of faithfulness, uh, fidelity. He would declare that he would be faithful to the Lord of the manor. That everything he did would be with regard to the Lord. The oath of fealty went like this. I promise on my faith that I will in the future be faithful to the Lord. Never cause him harm and will observe my homage to him completely against all persons in good faith and without deceit. I think that's kind of interesting that they made this a concrete statement as an initiation of that relationship. But then the second part of the ceremony consisted of an act of homage. It was more or less just entering into a contract between the Lord and the vassal where the Lord promised to always protect the vassal and the vassal promised to always fight for the Lord and his command. That he would do whatever was necessary on behalf of the Lord and that he was in allegiance with him. And I think that we can draw a lot of parallels between this, this medieval commendation ceremony and our own decisions to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. I mean, think about it. That oath of fealty, doesn't that sound a little bit like when maybe you said the sinner's prayer that first time and you said, I'm this day making a decision that I'm going to follow Christ and that I want to do whatever I can to follow him, to do his will, and to make him the Lord of my life. It sounds a lot like that, and I thought that was very unique and interesting that in our Christian faith, it would be like taking that first step to recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord. Then, just as the vassal and Lord entered into a contractual relationship, that act of homage, excuse me, we start a new relationship with Jesus, one where we constantly desire to follow him, to be obedient to him, to bring him glory and honor. And this relationship is an ongoing work in process. It's not something where, you know, I think about how if the vassal would have just, made the commitment, and then never done anything again, that probably would not have gone very well for the vassal, right? I mean, we think about how brutal it was back then. If he would have just, yes, we've entered into the relationship, but I'll see you later. You know, I'm not going to help you anymore. That's not how it would have gone. It would have been a firm commitment that ongoing, they would be doing whatever was necessary to keep following the Lord, to serve that Lord to help in whatever way. Several years ago, uh, we would sing a chorus in church that kept coming to mind as I was preparing this. And one of the lines said this, 
Jesus be the Lord of all, the kingdoms of my heart. Jesus be the Lord of all, the kingdoms of my heart. And I think this is an interesting picture as well, where the heart is one single unit that would summarize our spiritual lives. kind of summarizes who we are. But within that, there are kingdoms, plural, or subdivisions within our hearts. It's as though the heart is one overarching kingdom, but then we have all of these smaller kingdoms that exist within our hearts. And I think if we think about that, it can make a lot of sense. You and I, each one of us, are individual units. We're individual entities. But within us, we have a lot of different things that are going on. Some of us may have all of those things under control. Some of us may feel like we're big hot messes, right? But you may have different areas that are a part of you. One area might be related to your finances. That's a kingdom. How do I handle my money? How do I uh, spend it? How do I invest it? How do I save it? How do I give to the church? Do I give to the church? Those types of things. That's one area. One might be related to our families, where we need to figure out how do I handle my spouse? How do I deal with my children? How do I deal with my parents? How do I deal with my grandparents, my grandchildren, my aunts, uncles, you know, whatever. I mean, you could have this unlimited kingdom just related to your family and all of the things that those entail. You may have a kingdom for your time, how you spend your time, maybe your free time. Because our work time is one thing, and we know that that's usually a commitment. Some of us may need to take that as a note, like, yeah, I'll be committed to my work. But maybe we also need to go further and say, what do I do with my free time? How do I spend it? Is it honoring to God? Is it something where I'm using it wisely? That I do good things with my recreation and, and things like that. Maybe it's related to situations that you're facing. You may have a kingdom related to health issues or financial issues or family issues. And that's, maybe that's popped up and it comes up from time to time. But maybe it's an area where we need to make Jesus the Lord of that area. Maybe we need to figure out the kingdom of dating relationships. If you're single, that can be an area. What do we do? Who am I going to date? What are my standards? Do I have standards? Where am I going to draw the line? Where am I going to put in place the right things so that I am honoring God? Or do I honor God at all in my dating relationships? The list can go on and on. It could, we could have kingdoms related to destructive habits, our emotions. All of these types of things are all different subdivisions within us. And maybe they're in conflict with each other at times. Maybe they're all in unity. Who knows? But ultimately, Jesus wants to be the Lord of your entire heart. I think that's the, the overarching thing. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your entire heart and your entire life. The question is, are you doing that? Now, I won't speak for you, but I can say for myself that, unfortunately, that's probably not the reality for me. That Jesus probably is not the Lord of every single kingdom in my heart. That is my prayer. That's my desire. But on that individualized level, he may not be the kingdom of all, the king, or the king of all the kingdoms of my heart. 
on a macro level, don't get me wrong, I do love Jesus. Okay? I do love Jesus. I want to serve him. I want to do his will. But unfortunately, I don't always make the right decisions in that regard. I don't always choose to do what I need to do to really show that he is the Lord of my life. On a micro level, there are kingdoms in my heart where I have not yet made him the Lord. But here's the, the great and redeeming thing, I think, is that while Jesus wants to be the king, the Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart, of my entire heart, he's also working and willing to work with me to turn over those kingdoms one at a time. He's patient. He's kind. He's loving to help me to do that. He lovingly invites us to grow and mature in him. I think of it in that parenting relationship. We're trying to instill values in our children to, to learn different things. Don't lie. Don't steal. You know, let's behave in this way. And in most cases, we do it in a lovingly way, right? Where we're trying to help them grow. And that's something that I think at least Amy and I try to instill is that, yes, that's not the right thing. Yes, I understand that you're sorry, but I want you to grow, learn, learn. You know, we're not expecting you to be perfect, but we do want you to be growing and maturing and getting better and better and better all the time. You're on kind of a line of progress that you're moving from where you were to where you ultimately want to be. We want you to be a competent, well-mannered, well-adjusted adult at the end of it all. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to move from that point of being a babe in Christ to someone who is growing and mature and able to function as, as, as a believer and where we can be helping others to grow as believers. And as we continue to follow him and walk in his presence, he, through his Holy Spirit, speaks to us about that next area that he wants to work on, right? He comes alongside of us and says, I want that kingdom next. That's the next area that we're going to work on. And it may or may not be as blatant as that, that I want that. But I think we can get that sense that Jesus is wanting different areas. And we're all at different places. Something that I'm going to struggle with is going to be something different than what any of you struggle with here. Or you're going to struggle with something completely different than people over on this side. It's going to be completely different for each of us. But we go through that process of turning those individualized things over to Christ one by one. Some may be easy, right? Some are like, oh, that's no problem. I can drop that habit. Others are not. And they can be excruciatingly painful. And we may fail and we say, Lord, why did I fail at that again? I want to give that to you, but this is so hard. And he just says, keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. You can do this. He's lovingly nurturing us along. It's the growth process as a believer where the end result is reflecting Christ's image more and more. He's taking us from that point where we are, have made that decision, we've maybe said that oath of fidelity, and we're moving along. And he's trying to grow us more and more where we become looking more and more like Christ day after day. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at who Jesus is and what a gift he was 
and is to us. We understand that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We know that he is Savior, the one who saves us from our sin and its penalty. We've seen that he is Messiah, the anointed one bringing the kingdom of God to humanity. And today we've discussed and seen that he is Lord, now and for all eternity. That he is the one who is the master of all creation, and he wants to be the master of each area of our lives. In light of all this, we have a question that comes up before us. What will you do with this Jesus? Will you make him the Lord of your life and begin or continue that process of turning over those things that he's wanting as he's trying to transform and shape you? Jesus continues to invite you to follow him and make him the Lord of your life. You may have asked him to be your Savior, but have you begun to make him the Lord of your life? Maybe you've not even asked him to be your Savior, but today you can ask him to be both your Savior and your Lord. So again, the question is this. What will you do with Jesus? Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? In this moment, each of us has an opportunity to answer that question for ourselves. What will I do with Jesus? Today you may need to make that initial decision, that choice to make Jesus your Savior and your Lord. Right now, right here, you have an opportunity to do that. If you say today that, yes, I want to make Jesus my Lord, I want to accept his salvation and begin that journey to walk with him, if you'd like to take that initial step in walking with Jesus, receive his salvation begin to make him Lord, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me today. I want to walk with him the rest of my life. Thank you. Make him the savior of your soul, one who will now be the Lord of your life. magic or anything special about the prayer itself, but just saying that commitment to the Lord. So repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner who needs to be saved. I know that only you, Jesus, can save me. I ask that you would wash me clean ask that you would make me new. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. Give me strength each day to walk with you. Help me to become more and more like you. we just thank you for those who have raised their hands this morning and, and just taking that step to now walk with you 
say that you are their Savior, that you are their Lord. Now for others, you may have already asked him to be your Savior, but you recognize today that he's not the Lord in certain areas of your life. In fact, it could be that even before I started the sermon, or while I've been preaching, Jesus has been speaking to you about specific things, one specific thing that he wants from you. You know exactly what that is. Today, you have an opportunity as well to make him Lord of that area, to surrender it to him, whatever it is. So as a sign that you want to make him the Lord in a specific area, to be obedient, to submit, would you just slip your hand up as well as a sign that you want him to be Lord in an area, whatever it is, saying, Lord, it's you. I want you to be the Lord. Thank you. Those hands. Lord, for everyone who's raised their hand, we just pray that you would be the Lord of those areas, the Lord of those, their lives in those specific things that they are just lifting up to you today. Each one is responding to your call to be Lord in another kingdom of their heart. Each one is desiring to grow to be more like you. And to just say, Lord, I, I give this to you. Have your way. Lord, I pray that you would meet them where they are at. Give them strength to continue to recognize you as Lord in that area. To continue to guide them and speak to them so that they can continue to grow in you become more and more like you. We thank you, Lord, that you are Lord. That we truly can say, Jesus is Lord. From the beginning of time, when you were born on this earth through this present time and for all of eternity we know that you are the Lord there is none like you thank you Lord